So if you'll turn to 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 14 through 29, I want to briefly bring you up a bit on the context to which we shall be reading. Of course, you who read and study your Bibles, you realize that David, of course, was being pursued by King Saul, who wanted to kill him. Envy arose in that king's heart when David was ascribed much more, ten thousands in the slaying of the enemies of Israel, the Philistines, while Saul was only ascribed with slaying a thousand. Envy arose, it became malicious hatred that never subsided in King Saul. David, of course, was forced to flee. He even went to a place named Nob, where there were priests. The priests of the Lord were there. David had come there. They didn't know that he was fleeing from Saul. They thought he was on business for King Saul. And uh, he uh, acquired there the sword of Goliath, of Gath, that was hid in uh, the tabernacle. King Saul came there, accused them of siding with David, and actually had them killed, the priest killed. David had fled to other places like the cave of Adullam. And on his fleeing, he'd heard about an incursion of the Philistines who were coming against a place called Keilah. And this was a fortified city. It would have been very difficult for the Philistines to enter into the city, but they had much outside the city, like the threshing floors, which they robbed. So David had heard about that, and he sought the Lord as far as going after the enemies of the people of God, and he was directed to do so. And his men were fearful, not only because of the Philistines, but they knew that Saul was on his heels after him. There was a double threat that David sought the Lord and sought only the Lord in his direction. There was a mighty victory over the Philistines. But then when David further sought the Lord about Keilah, uh, Keilah, he would uh, he asked the Lord if they would actually turn on him if they would deliver him into the hands of Saul and Jehovah made known to him yes they would those he had protected would deliver him into the hands of Saul so he was forced to flee from there and we begin our reading now in 1 Samuel chapter 23, beginning at verse 14. And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph, in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee. 
and thou shalt be king over Israel. And I shall be next unto thee, and that also Saul my father knoweth. And they two made a covenant before the Lord, and David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. Then came up the Ziphites to Saul, to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in strongholds in the wood, in the hill of Hekilah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of thy soul to come down. And our part shall be to deliver, the, uh, deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed be ye of the Lord, for ye have compassion on me. Go, I pray you, prepare yet, and know and see his place where his haunt is, and who hath seen him there, for it is told me that he dealeth very subtly. See therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hideth himself. And come ye again to me with the certainty, and I will go with you. And it shall come to pass, if he be in the land, that I will search him out throughout all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plains on the south of Jeshimon. Saul also and his men went to seek him. And they told David, Wherefore he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon, and Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men on that side of the mountain, and David made haste to get away for fear of Saul, for Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them. They had them completely surrounded. But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore they called that place Selahamalakoth. And David went up from thence and dwelt in strongholds at Injidai. Concerning David, it has been observed that David, in different periods of his varied life, was placed in almost every situation in which a believer, be he rich or poor in this world's goods, can be placed. David had incredible trials. You can read about those. You can read his inward trials in the Psalms, of course. This is what makes his Psalms so very rich. And those who learn well to value them and to value them above any counsel that comes from this world, having access to the counsel that God himself has provided in his word. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and his word becomes the counselor, the greatest counselor. David, in this passage, was in a very desperate situation. You ever been in desperate times? A difficult situation? 
thinking, well, surely things will get better. But they don't. They get worse. Much worse sometimes. Hounded by Saul. David found himself hemmed in, hemmed in on every side. Unable to escape the murderous pursuit of the apostate king. And in this, he would not only be helpless to free himself, he would even experience the betrayal of those who should have stood firm with him, his own countrymen, his kin of the tribe of Judah, the Ziphites. From a human standpoint, everything looked absolutely hopeless. But then, if you're among those who've been delivered from the greatest foe, your greatest foe, and I'm not simply talking about the devil, I mean your sins. If you've been delivered from sin, if you've been redeemed by the wondrousness of God's grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, by the cross, by a finished redemption, it calls you then to come and trust only in the one who died for you and rose again. If you're made conscious indeed that God is your Father, and that's the work of God's Holy Spirit, to give us the consciousness of our relationship with God as Father. Yet, yet you must be taught in the school of difficulty. Just as the word of God declares, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. You see, faith, if it's real in any measure, must be refined. And often the process is one that seems that may destroy us rather than further us along and help us. How long, how difficult the process, but how blessed for us if we learn in truth that we have an access to the peace that passes all understanding in the midst of the most difficult things we face. If we come by God's grace to learn to trust our God even when human sight says that we should despair of any help. Truly, you belong to the living God. If your heart and your purpose is truly to know and glorify God in all things, then know something. Know that no matter the difficulties in the way, they have the greatest of purpose from God's hand. They are to remove from you the affection of the world and to teach you to seek the right things, to seek God's kingdom, his righteousness, to seek those things which are above. You see, trees 
grow strong when they have to face the winds that blow against them. The best fruit is born only when the branches are purged, the dead ones cut away. You know where flowers grow the best? In the valley. The beauty of the Psalms grew out of the afflictions of the psalmist. We should never have had them to guide us in trial and comfort and conflict and affliction. To strengthen our resolve to trust in our Lord and find our true joy and peace only in Him while we live in a world of sorrow. Born unto sorrow as the, fly, as the fire flies upward as we're taught in the book of Job. The Lord Jesus says, in me ye shall have peace. That's the place of our peace. That's the place of a peace that the world does not know and cannot comprehend. In the world ye shall have tribulation, trouble. In me, the Lord says, ye shall have peace. David flees Keilah. Saul is pursuing him with a murderous rage. He will go into a wooded area. He will hide himself. And a part of the time, we know, if you studied carefully in the geography, there were some hilly places where he could come and actually view and see all around and know when his enemies were approaching him. But he doesn't rest anymore. There's no rest. He flees. He flees, but there's no rest. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes we like to get out of trouble. We want to flee here or flee there, go to this place or that place. No, it doesn't remove our troubles. Escapisms, we call them. For a brief little period, they might be enjoyable. But that's not the place of our rest. David flees to get out of the way of Saul in his rage and the great stress he's feeling, no doubt. But rest doesn't come. Difficulty will increase. His trials aren't over. Sorrows will yet be added. David left Keilah with the knowledge that his delivering their city did not secure the loyalty of its inhabitants. He delivered them. He delivered them from the Philistines. But they would fear Saul. And out of pure self-interest, they would have given him up to Saul. David left Keilah and he found refuge in the mountainous regions or hilly region of Ziph. Sometimes the Judean 
wilderness in certain sections were called by the particular name of the town it was near, this Ziph, or the wilderness of Maon, a mountainous and hilly region. Wilderness means uncultivated, so we are assured there must have been forests and places, of course, where he thought he could hide effectively there. He knew the place well. It was his own tribe. It was his own people. And we read in verses 14 and 15. And David abode in the wilderness and strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him out every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. David's life was filled with trouble. Facing hard things. That is, his outer life. His life in the world. The world where he had his tribulation. He would have said and did say to Jonathan before Jonathan met him at this place where he fled, there is but a step between me and death. He felt his life was in such danger that at any time he could be snapped out. His outer life. But his fleeing, his escapism, wouldn't bring him any better. Saul's pursuit was relentless. His outer life was but trouble, difficulty. But his inner life, I'm speaking of the regenerate life, I'm speaking of his spirit, his relationship with his living with the living God though his outward life was filled with trouble he had an inner life and in that life was his trust in his God his absolute being convinced of the faithfulness of his God that his promises do not fail We learn that even though sometimes it was buried and would arise again in the Psalms. God works in your heart and mind. We may go through sorrows. They may seem to cloud over and cover our hopes and even in our God sometimes because that can happen. But where God works in one, it can't stay that way. And you see that in David. And you find that in the Psalms that he writes. We would not have the Psalms so filled with both sorrow and trust, fear and faith, expressive of the inner struggles that we too experience in some degree, and teaching us to trust our God in the depths as well as in the heights. 
had not David suffered what he did. We have his outward life taught us in the historical books like 1 Samuel. We have his experiences. We have the circumstances that surrounded. We have the providential workings of God taking place there. But we have his inner life in the Psalms. It was God. It was Jehovah. The God who is absolutely true to his word and faithful to his loved and redeemed ones. Who is providentially moving everything that was happening to David. We who profess to believe in the sovereignty of God. We don't like it when he works in ways <laughs> that come against us sometimes. And we want to try to figure out things in our own mind and our own opinions instead of submitting and trusting that God is doing his perfect will. And he has a perfect plan. And it's going to work out exactly as he planned. And everything he does toward us by his special providence no matter how difficult it seems to us. It has a perfect design to work for our good, to bring us more and more into conformity to our Lord, who had perfect faith and trust in his Father, whatever came his way. God does not leave us who are in Christ alone, Grace is operative at all times. He doesn't leave us without the access to comfort and strength to face and realize our deepest trials and afflictions. We have his word to guide us. It's amazing how so-called Christians, when they get in difficulty, they look to any place else. They'll go to the psychiatrist. They'll go to the doctor. Well, I mean, there are times when doctors are needed. They'll go to this one or that one. They'll try to find their solution anywhere but where it's found. We have his word as our counselor. My testimonies are my delight in my counselors said the psalmist. We have his spirit to teach us, to illumine us to the word of God, to enable us to receive it, to understand it. And we have his providence, his sovereign workings in our circumstances to make a way for us. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. 
temptation in First Corinthians ten thirteen is in the sense of trial. Sometimes that it means trial. It's not necessarily speaking of uh, an enticement to moral transgression. Sometimes it includes that indeed. Speaking of the difficulties we face. Sometimes the greatest temptation is want to just deny our Lord or walk in our own ways or get away and escape from the things that trouble us rather than trusting him as we should. The very same God who directed David's steps from Keilah was at the same time also working in the heart of Jonathan, his friend, Saul's son. Jonathan knew the wickedness of his father. And he did not stand with his father. He knew David was in the right. Saul was far more noble than his father. Or rather, Jonathan, far more noble than his father Saul. His steps were directed to David. God was working, all at the same time working in the heart of Jonathan to be a means of high consolation in a time of great grief and very difficult trouble. So we read in verses 16 through 18. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee. And thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee, and that also Saul my father knoweth. Jonathan had quite a character. He didn't say, I should have the throne. He knew that God had chosen David. And he said, I'd be just happy to be there, your trusted counselor and advisor. And they two made a covenant before the Lord, and David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. It has been observed, the ordinary springs of comfort open to David. Meditation on God's past faithfulness. The conviction that he was working out a high and divine purpose. And the pouring out of his heart in prayer were now supplemented by the presence and love of his dearest earthly friend. It's a wondrous thing. It's a wondrous thing. Some of those men I mentioned that are now with the Lord, they were my dear friends in the ministry. I can remember their words. I can remember their comfort. I can remember in times of difficulty and they'd faced it and how it uplifts and strengthens and how they can teach of God's grace and faithfulness in hard times. God gave a, a godly friend to David who strengthened him and was used to strengthen him in God. So blessed is it, dear saint, 
if indeed you belong to God. You've been delivered from the greatest danger there is, and that's the danger that your sins would expose you to. But you've been delivered through the wondrousness of the redeeming grace of God through the death and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by his work through his spirit in calling you and giving you faith to trust, look to and trust him. Blessed, when God sends sweet consolations in whatever means he uses, to your wilderness of Ziph. You know what's very interesting about Ziph? It means refining place. We have to have our Ziph. We have to have our refining place. Nothing. No counsel. No consoling strength could ever be greater than to know, believe. In constant prayer, look to and trust in the one who promises, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. What a promise. What a promise. Oh, there may be times we don't know his presence like we would. We don't have sweet communion like we would like. It seems I'm so distant, but yet he's still with us. Even in such times, working his will. Yet there are times when God in mercy gives us encouragers. Those who talk about the things of God. I think of Roger Lackey I was talking about, my dear friend, or David King, my dear friend. You didn't meet them talking about the weather or the ball game. The things of God were in their hearts. The Lord of glory was he which occupied their desire. And out of the abundance of their heart, the mouth spoke. I can remember times of distress. A young pastor. I was in my mid-twenties. When I began public ministry, I was a very young man. I can remember the idealisms I had. Oh, how imagining what could happen after the first year. After the first year, I wondered, what am I doing here? The warfares began to come. The difficulties began to arise. The oppositions began to take place. And how often I'd go and talk with my dear, my dear old pastor and now friend Roger Lackey. and his experience and his wisdom and God would use him to strengthen to strengthen sometimes with very simple things Ron you just keep doing what God has called you to do that's all you do you keep doing it God will take care <laughs> thanks 
and but yet not simply simple words but they had experience behind them and wisdom behind them yes God in great mercy can give us comforters those who are helpers even when we have been deserted by those we thought would remain faithful to us God tenderly cares for his hurting children But as difficult as it is when our faith is being refined by the trial of faith much more precious than of gold that perisheth, the grand end of that is glorious. For we who are in Christ and are of the royal seed and the royal family of God, If I may digress a minute. When thinking about dear David King, sometimes we turn that around, we call him King David. Thinking when God called him, when he was escorted into the presence of the Lord, he was escorted as royalty. A royal son of God. If we could imagine that, we'd Lord, I want to go be with him because I want to be with you. If we could know what lie just beyond, we wouldn't want to stay here. What a, a glorious end God has for those who are in Christ. And the royal family of God being prepared to reign. The Lord Jesus says in Roman, Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, those who overcome shall sit down with me in my throne. Added to the fear that would have caused Zeila to abandon David to Saul, now his own tribe, the Ziphites, would betray him. His own tribe would betray him to King Saul. So we read in verses 19 through 23. Then came up the Ziphites to Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in strongholds in the wood, in the hill of Hekilah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of thy soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed be ye of the Lord, for ye have compassion on me. He thought. David's been blindsided, and now God's on my side because here's David stuck in this place. I've got him. Go, I pray you, and prepare yet, and know and see his place where his haunt is, and who hath seen him there, for it has told me that he deal very subtly. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hideth himself, and come ye again to me with a certainty. 
and I will go with you, and it shall come to pass, if he be in the land, that I will search him out throughout all the thousands of Judah. David, David, who was so honored, when as but a youth, his trust was completely in his God. And came against the Philistine giant. Thou defied the armies of the living God. And with a sling and a stone. Felled that mighty Philistine giant named Goliath. And was honored so highly. Then made a captain over the army. Led them wondrously to mighty battles over the Philistines, where the ladies who would come and would sing, Saul hath slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. That caused the wicked envy in the heart of Saul to arise. David who was so honored. David, who delivered the nation from the Philistine army. Now he's isolated. He's in sorrow. And he's considered an outlaw. Though through Jonathan's instrumentality, his hand was, quote, strengthened in God, and though God's purpose for him could not fail, he's learning a great lesson. Vain is the help of man. You read that in his Psalms. Now that David is in such a low estate, his own countrymen, those of his own tribe, like your own family, Reject him. They take the side of one whose heart is filled with the most wicked purpose. Saul. Wanted to kill him. David. Done nothing wrong. He only acted wisely. He did what was put in his hands in the most prudent ways. Nothing against the nation, nothing against King Saul. But Saul goes after him by his envy and his malicious, murderous desire. And what does he do? He uses the words of religion. He uses the words of piety. Notice in verse 7 at Keilah, And it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah, and Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand. For he's shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. He's in a place he can't get out of there. <laughs> the news had come to Saul, he's in Keilah. You have to take that city. David's in that city. 
You can't get out of that city. It's, a, it's fortified everywhere. But David sought the Lord, and the Lord made known to him that Saul would come and kill him if he stayed there. So he left. He and his men were able to get out before Saul came. But then even further, in chapter, chapter 23, or, uh, yeah, chapter 23 and verse 21, how about uh, the Ziphites? To the Ziphites. And Saul said, Blessed be ye of the Lord, for ye have compassion on me. The language of piety. Ali hates David. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever think spiritually when you look at these passages? Can we not see here a distinct type? A type of him who came unto his own and his own received him not. He who had the clearest evidence that he was God's Messiah, that he was the sent one of the Father, that he is, he is exactly who he declared himself to be, that he is the Son of God, that he is of and from the Father, that he comes from heaven to earth, that he comes from eternity into time, that he is the light of the world, that he is the light that shines in darkness. Even in the darkness among his own kin, according to the flesh. And the darkness hates the light. Yet, by the clearest evidence, he's shown to be God's anointed. No one ever could perform what he did. No one ever. Like the blind man in John chapter 9. You ever heard of a man from the beginning of the world that opened somebody's eyes? Or like the calming of the raging of the sea? Or like the feeding of 5,000 from a few pieces of bread and small fishes? And what do they want to do when he does that? They want to make him a king, he says. They want him to be their king. They're ready to accept him as the Messiah when they thought he would fill their bellies. They honored him. The same people, the same people would soon reject him. The same people would soon cry, crucify him. Weren't the Pharisees and the leaders of the nation as pious sounding as Saul? Would they not say, God is our Father? 
turn on the very Son of God because his condition wasn't what they were looking for. He came lowly. He came in the greatest of humility. He came as a man of sorrows. He didn't fit their idea of a Messiah. The builders would reject the stone of the corner. The only stone upon which the kingdom of God can be built. They would follow their leaders like the Ziphites did Saul. And they would cry, crucify him. Never did any suffer like our Lord. Never, ever. And yet all at the same time, never did any know the sweet consolations afforded in times of the greatest of affliction of body and soul as our Lord, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And neither do those who walk in the path of genuine faith and obedience ever lack, ever, the help of him whose grace is always sufficient. Like Paul, who could say of those who forsook him, those he thought would stand with him, those he thought would be with him in the hour of his difficulty, but no. No man stood with me. you imagine? A great apostle. Nevertheless, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. My, what trouble. David flees Keilah. They're going to turn him over to Saul. He inquires of the Lord. God makes known to him they're going to do that. He has to leave. He goes to the wilderness of Ziph. His own tribe is ready to deliver him into the hands of Saul. He's in now fled to another place. Saul finds him. The Ziphites help him and they find him. He's surrounded on every side. Hopeless. It's the most desperate situation David has ever been in. But in this greatest of extremity, He's delivered without having to lift a finger. Verses 24 through 29. And they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. Saul also and his men went to seek him. And they told David, Wherefore he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of Maon. 
And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David into the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men on that side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul. For Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them. They were completely surrounded. But, <laughs> sometimes I like these little contrasts. This is not such a little contrast. But, <laughs> there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee and come. For the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore they called that place Selahamalekoth. And David went up from thence and dwelt in strongholds at Injidai. David's surrounded. He's hemmed in on every side. There is no way to escape He's escaped before. He's escaped to a cave like Adullam. He's escaped to the wilderness like the wilderness of Ziph or Maon. But no, now there is no way to escape. Everything, without any exception, appears like he's going to be destroyed. So what does David do? You remember how we began the service this morning? The psalm we read, Psalm 54. We may just have the prayer that David prayed at that time, written upon the background of this extreme crisis. You want to look at it again? In the 54th Psalm? Here's what David did. Psalm 54. Remember that the caption says it's a psalm of David when the Zipphims came and said to Saul, doth not David hide himself with us? They betrayed him to Saul. Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them. Selah. Behold, God is mine helper. Now, that's something to say when everything looked just the opposite, wasn't it? That's where faith arises out of severe trial. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all my out of all trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. As he has been to me, so he will be to me. 
He calls upon God, knowing him, trusting his faithfulness, calling upon his name. And God's name, of course, in Scripture signifies all of his holy character, his attributes. And thus ends up with the assurance that Paul also later expressed. He hath delivered me from so great a death and doth deliver, and I trust that he shall yet deliver me. Learn of God. Learn of him. Let that be the highest pursuit of your education. Learn of God. Learn his ways. Remember his past help and deliverances. Recognize he doesn't change. His promises don't fail, ever. And if you be in the path of genuine faith and duty, you take your part from those who oppose you therein. Well, in that regard, look to another, Psalm 18 with me. Look at Psalm 18. Psalm 18. And again, this caption of this psalm reads, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, and we want to read here verses 17 through 21. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord hath rewarded me according to my righteousness and according to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. All at the time that Saul's rage was moving to destroy David God was working by a secret providence. He was working in the very enemies of Israel. He was working in the Philistines. And the very enemies of the nation would become the means by which God would deliver David. Again, in 1 Samuel 23 and verses 27 through 29. But there came a messenger unto Saul. Oh, don't you love that contrast, that little but there came. A messenger unto Saul while David was 
in the place where it looked like he could not but be destroyed. Saying, Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore they called that place Selahamalakoth. And David went up from thence and dwelt in strongholds at Engedi. David was not idle. He was very active in making the use of the means for his own self-protection, and that's not wrong. It's not wrong when we have need. We have a physician if we're sick. The Lord said those who are sick need a physician. <laughs> but we can trust him in that. It's not wrong when we're in danger to avoid the danger. The Lord told his own apostles and those disciples when they were going out to a hostile world, when they reject you into one place, they persecute you there, flee to another. Now, it's not wrong. It's wrong to trust those things. Instead of our God. There are those who get in trouble. They don't make use, constant use of the means God has appointed. This is the means. The preaching of the word is the means. The gathering of the saints in the gathered assembly is the means God blesses. Even those who profess to know the Lord, they don't believe his word. They don't lay hold upon what it teaches. Means, the means of prayer, believing prayer. God has ordained that means. Sometimes I come and cry to the Lord, Lord, you ordained this means of prayer. <laughs> you know, I, just, I think I do it reverently, but this is what you have appointed. This is, the, this is what God has appointed. He's appointed the ministry of his word and chose the preaching of the word to save them that believe. There's no little thing to make use of the means. The means of self-protection. I see a bunch of people that died without buckling their seat belts. I buckle mine. Somebody says, well, don't you trust the Lord? I say, yeah, but I'm a practical Calvinist. I believe in the use of means. However things appeared in his outward life in the world, his inner life. David trusted his God. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. You're not going to find anywhere else. Nowhere. It'll elude you eventually. In me you have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. So it has been said. Our Christian enterprises. Private conflicts with sin and sorrow. And daily occupations should be pursued with all zeal. And yet with all faith. In the need. And certainty. 
of God's help. May God bless the ministry of his holy word. If someone has a hymn, we'll be glad to accommodate. Be still my soul. Be still my soul.